0: Okay, we're beginning here on the top of He'amud um, Aleph, nine lines down. The Gemaras continue to discuss the question that was raised on the Tav which is, the cases in our Mishnah, how is it that the Ani and the Balabayit are chayavin? Be'in and Akira banacha we need the location from which the Akira and Anachah take place on Shabbat to be at least 4 by 4 Tfachim to be considered a Makom Chashuv the truth is as we already noted that there's really no source in the Gemara for the fact that you do require a place of arba al it's taken as a given by the Gemara that that is the case Tosafot tries to bring sources for the fact that, that maybe that is required or it comes out of the Ipsukim and so Gemara wants to know how is it that our Mishnah doesn't have that requirement the hand of an individual The balabait or the ani who are exchanging things in the mishnah, neither of those are four by four t'vachim. So the first suggestion of the Gemara by Rabbah was that it's Rabbi Akiva, who does not require Arbal Arba'ah, and that's based on Rabbi Akiva's position, that kluta that an object in motion is considered to be as if it's making discrete movements throughout, and therefore you are Chayav when you throw something from a Rishut Yahid to a Rishut Yahid through a Rishut HaRabim. The Gemara rejected that because from Rabbi Akiva we only know that Hanacha, he does not require Arbal Arbat Tfachim, but Akira, maybe he would require it. So the next suggestion was by Rav Yosef that the author of our Mishnah is Rabi-hi. Then the Gemara wanted to know, which Rabi are we speaking about? The first attempt was that if someone throws something and it lands on this ziz, some projectile, then you are chayav according to Rabi. And we thought maybe because that area is so small, Maybe that says Rabbi does not require a makom arba arba. And the Gemara says that that doesn't work because over there we explained that Rabbi was speaking about the branches of a tree. That the branches follow the trunk of the tree. And therefore the branches take on the qualities of the trunk and they are bigger than they really are in reality. So then Gemara suggested maybe it's Rabi who says if you throw something from Rishut HaRabim to Rishut Rabim through a Rishut but BaEmsa that you are Chayab. And then we said that doesn't work because Rabin Shmuel qualified that position of Rabi and said it only applies when it's Mikureh, when there's a roof over it, because then it's Kibayit Mal Damyo, as if the house is totally full. And that's why the object that goes through there is as if it stopped there and then continued onwards. Kumar says okay. So we'll just assume that the case in our mission is a case of mikure. Kumar says that works by rashut yachid because a rashut yachid mikure exists. But for rashut rabim, you can't do that because there's no such concept as a Rishut rabim Mikureh, because in the midbar, the digalim, or where we learn rashut rabim from, which is the diglay midbar, does not have a manifestation by which it's mikure. And given that, it cannot be the case that they're speaking about in the Mishnah. Now we're up to our third attempt as to who's the author or how we explain our Mishnah, and that's Ella Amirabi Zera Hamani, the authorship of our Mishnah we can attribute to Acherimhi. It's based on this position of the Acherim, the Tanya Acherim Omrim. The Acherim tell us, If the person was standing stationary, Bikibel, and then he received the object, Chayab. The person who threw it is then chayav. Akarmim komo, if the person receiving the object moved from his place to intercept the item, Vicky Bell, and he then caught it, he is patur. The case that the Acherim are speaking about was where an individual throws an object. Now, the object has the Akira because the person launched the object. Then the object needs a Hanacha. If the receiving party doesn't move, then the machshava of the individual who's throwing it is being carried out, and therefore there's an Akira and a Hanacha, and that will be Mechayev him. On the other hand, if the party that is receiving the object moves to intercept the object, then the machshava of the individual through it is not carried out in its entirety because it was intercepted along the way. And that's why he is Patur in that case. And the Gemara asks Ahmad Bim when the individual is stationary and the object lands on them, Biki and they received it, Khayav, over there you are Khayav, Babinan Hanachah, Gabi Makom Dalit, Vileka. Don't you require a place that is at least four by four, in order for there to be Hanakha. And over here it's landing on the individual, whether it's into his hand or on his shoulder or on his head, wherever it lands, doesn't have an location that is four by four T'vachim. Elishma minah from here you can conclude that they don't require a four by four location, and therefore their position, or they can be, the authors of a Mishnah. Maragin asks, That Brita only addresses a case of Hanakha, where it lands, akira Ba'inan. But maybe for Akira, you do require it. Similar to what we asked by Rabbi Akiva, maybe his position is only true when it comes to hanacha, But when it comes to Akira, you would have to be okeret from 4 by 4 And our mission deals with cases of both Akira and Hanakha. So you maybe solve the problem with regards to hanacha. You didn't solve the problem with regards to Akira. And the Baliatos Tosafot in yesterday's Daft explained why they thought possibly there would be a distinction between hanacha versus Akira. Because in the Mishkan, they used to take the objects that they were storing from their locations and then give it to the people who were doing the malacha. And therefore the akira came from their storage areas or their tevot, which were four by four Tfachim. So maybe there you require akira by four by four Tfachim because that's what was in the mishkan. But hanacha, maybe you do not require. And the Gemara says, even by Hanakha, I'm not sure your conclusion with regards to the Achirim is correct. Hanakha, Nami the Poshit Kanfei, Who says that when he received it, that he caught it in his hand, or it landed on his head or his shoulder, maybe he extended his tunic or his garment and made a trampoline for it to land on. And if that's the case, the Ekanami Hanakha. Then Hanakha happened in a place that was 4 by 4 fahim and so you can't prove anything from the Achirim. And there we reject now our third attempt to find the authorship of our Mishnah. So Amarabi Abba Matsanitan. So here's the fourth attempt to figure out what is the position of our Mishnah is Kagon. The situation is the Girsa here is, is either Bel Betraskal that he received it into a basket, or you could see in the old Aleph of the Bach that the alternate girsa was she-ak-ro, or Akre Mitraskal that he took it out of a basket, Veiniach Algabe Traskal, and then he put it down in a Traskal. What it's saying is that the Ani and the Balabait in the Mishnah are not working with their hands, but they're rather working with baskets that are in their hands. And the baskets create an area that is four by four, and therefore now you do have a makom cheshuv that you can have the Akiran Hanacha being done to. So Traskal is either a wicker basket, or some of the Gonim describe it as a portable table that is used made out of wicker, but either way it has an area that is larger than your hand, and now you've created a scenario in which you have four by four twachim, both for the ani and the balabait. Di kanami hanacha. So therefore, now you have an akira and Anakha. Mar says v'ha yadok Wait a minute. Our Mishnah says that the balabait and the ani, using their hands, he took it from his hand, put it into his hand. It doesn't mention any basket in the Mishnah. Mar says Traskal should be adult. So whether that means in the Gemara emend the Mishnah to read that it, the basket that is in his hand, or it means that it is as if it's written the basket in his hand. When it says his hand, doesn't mean his hand literally, it means whatever was in his hand that was functioning like the hand to be the receiving agent and to be the akira that took place from there. Mar says, Ha tinach traskal Yachid. That solution is great when you're talking about the Balabai using the Rishutta Yachid. Because in the Rishut Yachid, the Traskal functions as a Rishuta Yachid, and so it doesn't change anything. Alai Traskal should Rabim. When you have a basket in a Rashut Rabim, that changes it from a Rashuta Rabim into a Rishuta Yachid. That is because we're going to see upcoming in the Gemara. As always, the Gemara assumes you know information that's only going to be presented later in the Gemara. The areas of Rashut Yachid and Rashut Rabim have definitions which are important. Rashut Yachid is an area that has to be at least 4 by 4 T'vachim, and it has to have mechitzot around it, or it has to be elevated at least 10 T'vachim. On the other hand, Rishut is an open area. Let's we'll see some of the qualifications of what you need in order for it to be a Rishut but one of them is that it can't be an independent area in the Rishut beam that the public does not use, or does not traverse, and therefore if you have an area that is at least 4 by 4 T'vachim in the Rishut that is distinct from the Rishut that means it's above 3 T'vachim. And below 10 T'vachim, if you have an area that's at least 4 by 4 T'vachim, then it becomes a karmelite. And if it's above 10 T'vachim, it becomes a Rishut yachid. when it's 4 by 4 T'vachim. And so that's what the Gemara is saying now. When the Ani is standing in the Rishut Rabim and he has a basket in his hand, that basket has the qualification to make it into Rishut yachid. It's at least 4 by 4 T'vachim because that's why we're using the basket to gain us that area. And now you have a 4 by 4 T'vachim area in the Rishut Rabim. And that changes it into a Rishut yachid. If that's the case, then the Balabite, when he takes something from inside and places it into the basket of the, on the outside, he hasn't done anything. He's gone from Rishut Ayachid to Rishut yachid. So why is there a problem? Let us say that then our Mishnah is stating otherwise, and that it's not classified as a Rishut Ayachid. The Tanya. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Omer, Na'atz Person who puts up a pole or some sort of stake in the Rishut Rabim and then it's top of it, it has a basket. Zarak, if you threw something from the shooter Rabim, Binachal Gabab, and it lands in that basket, you are Khayab. Rabyosi Babyuda is giving us a Chiddush that first of all, if you have an area that's four by four tvachim that's above ten, it is considered or classified as a Rashut yachid. The Chiddush over here is that even though the base that is holding up the basket is not four by four tvachim, nevertheless the basket that is suspended or held up by this stake makes it into a Rashut HaYachid, because you have 4 by 4 t'vachim that's above 10 t'vachim and therefore it is a Rishut HaYachid, and then if you throw something from the Rishut rabim into that basket, it'll be the equivalent of going from Rishut rabim to Rishut HaYachid. But given that, then how can you explain our Mishnah that the Ani is holding a basket that is four by 4x4 four Tfachim that make it into a Rishut HaYachid? And if you tell me that it's not, that means that our Mishnah does not follow this position of Rabbi Yosef or Rabbi Yehuda. Because De'ika Rabbi Yosi, Rabbi Yehuda, if you were following that position, Rabbi Yosi, Rabbi Yehuda, when the Balabayit sticks his hand out and natan lo and places it into the basket of the ani, a my chayav? Why should he be chayav there? It's mirushut yachid, the rishut yachid kamafik. He's taking it from rishut yachid, his house, and placing it into the basket of the ani, which according to Rabbi Yosi, Rabbi Yehuda, is a rishut yachid. So he hasn't done anything. There is no hotza'ah now. So why should he be chayav in the mishnah? The Gemara This doesn't necessarily have to be at odds with that position of Rabbi Yosi Rabbi Yudah. Rabbi Yosi Rabbi Yudah's position, as he states, is that it's above ten Tvachim. Hacha, the Mishnah speak about a case where, where it's below ten Tvachim. And that is because the Rishut Rabim only exists up to ten Tvachim high. It is from the ground level where there is an area that's deemed to be Rishut Rabbim until ten Tvachim high. Above ten Tvachim, as we're going to see later in the Gemara, is considered to be a Makom Patur. So there where you have the basket above the rishuta Rabim, then you can create a Rishut Yahid. It's ten high, it's above the area of the Rishut Rabim, and you have an area that is four by four Twachim. That's what according to Rabbi you Rayudh Rabbi creates the Rishut yachid in the middle of the Rishut Rabim. On the other hand, if you have a four by four Tfachim space in the rishuta Rabim that is below ten tfahim, above three tvachim and below ten tfim, it doesn't become a Rishut Yahid. And that's the case in our Mishnah that the basket takes on the character of the area that it's in, because it is below 10th vachim, and it's considered to be part of the Rishut rabim, but it's a makom chashu, because it has 4 by 4th vachim. The Baal Tzosephal questioned the answer of the Gemara over here, because even though below 10th vachim, it's not considered to be Rishut Yachid, it still should be classified as a karmelit. As we noted before, a karmelit is an area that has a status of problem midra banan. It's an area that is not a Rishut Yachid, not a Rishut Rabim, but it has traits that make it that even though it is a Rishut Yahed, it is similar to a Rishut Rabim, and therefore they created this in-between zone called the Carmelite, by which you can't carry from Rishut Yachid to a Carmelite, or from a Carmelite to Rishut Yachid, and same with the Rishut Rabim. It becomes this third area of Isur on Shabbat. And one of the qualifications for a Carmelite is it has to be a minimum of four by four Tvachim, and it has to be below ten Fahim. Well, that's exactly what you have now. You have a basket in the Rishut Rabbim that is four by four Tvachim, below ten Tvachim, and it is a Carmelite. And that's what Tosavot says. I don't understand the solution of the Gemara. You're right, it's not a Rishut Yahid, but it's also not a Rishut Rabbim. It's actually a Carmelite. So Tosavot invokes Rashi later in the Masechta that says that a Kli cannot become a Carmelite. Carmelite is only an area, and it can't be a utensil that becomes a karmelit. Now here, since we're speaking about a basket, the basket doesn't become a Carmelite. And remains Rishut Rabim, even though it's four by four at Fachim. Then the Tosavot continues on to challenge the whole questioning of the Gemara over here from Rabbi Yosef and Rabbi Yehuda. And he says, what was the questioner thinking? Because even without the question of Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, the Mishnah has to be speaking about below ten Tfachim, because as we noted already, there's no such thing as a Roshut above ten Tfachim. It's a Makomptor. So in order to be chayav in a Mishnah, we're obviously speaking about an area that's below 10 Fahim. And below 10 tvachim, it's obvious that Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Yudha doesn't believe you create a Rishut Yachid below 10 tvachim. Because that's the qualification for Rishut Yachid. It has to be a minimum of 4 by 4 by 10 high. Now 10 high can either be because it's elevated, or it can be that it's dug into the ground and there's Mechitzot around it, or it's in a Chatzer where there's Mechitzot of 10 tvachim around it. But you need those 10 Fahim in order for it to be classified as a Rishut Yachid. So over here, what was the Havamina to think that our Mishnah and Rabbi Yosif Rabbi Yehuda, are in contradiction, because the Mishnah is clearly below 10th vachim in order to be a Rishut rabim, and Rabbi Yosif Rabbi Yehuda, is obviously above 10th vachim in order to be a Rishut HaYachid. So the just leaves it as an open issue as to why the Gemara even entertained this issue with Rabbi Yosif Rabbi Yehuda, and why it was necessary to bring him in in order to tell us that the Mishnah is speaking about a case of below 10 vachim. So now we've come up with a solution as to the case in the Mishnah, as to how you have a Makom dalad al-Dalet, for the Akiran anachan, that's because they're using baskets in their hands, both the balabait and the anit. Gemara says, the Rabbi Abahu." Rabbi is still bothered by this solution because miktoni treskal should be The Mishnah doesn't say the basket in his hand; it says Hayadoktani. tani. It says his hand. He's basically going back to what the Gemara originally asked, which is the Mishnah says hand and not basket. And even if you want to amend the Mishnah or say that's what the Mishnah meant, it still doesn't say that. And in the end, it's his hand. Alameh Rabbi so Rabbi Bala says, it's a case where your hand is within three t'fachim of the ground. And that is the principle in halacha that anything that's within three t'fachim of another object is lavud. It's considered to be as if the space doesn't exist. And it's as if the object is found on whatever it is proximate to within three t'fachim. That is true both in elevation, meaning something that is below three tvachim is considered to be on the ground, something above three t'vachim can separate away from the ground, as well as in width or length, for instance, by sukkah, or by mechitzot for Shabbat, when you have stakes that are less than three t'vachim away from each other, we see the empty space between them as if it doesn't exist. So similarly over here, if the hand of the individual is below three t'vachim, it's as if it's on the ground. So here it's a case that the ani put his hand within three t'vachim of the ground, and then he received whatever the balabite was giving to him, in that case, it's as if he put it directly into the Rishut HaRabim. His hand is not distinct from the ground. It's not distinct from the Rishut HaRabim. And therefore, you don't need a 4 by 4 space in his hand because his hand now becomes the ground itself because it's within 3 Tvachim of the ground. So when it says, Va omeid k'tani. Doesn't it say in the Mishnah, Ani omeid bachot, bifnim, that they're actually standing? When it says, Bishoche, where he's bent over. Yeah, he's standing. He's on his legs, but he is bending over to put his hand down towards the ground. Or the other possibility is, is that he's inside of a ditch of some sort, by which he is standing totally upright, but his hand is still within three tevachim of the ground on the surfaces that are around the ditch that he's in. As the Ba'i Tosafot point out, the ditch itself has to be classified as a Rishut Rabim. It's not enough that his hand outside of the ditch is near the Rishut Rabim to make it into Rishut Ar-Rabim. It has to be the ditch itself is classified as a Rishut Ar-Rabim, And that is either because Rabim Mishtam Shimbo, it's an area that the public at large uses or utilizes, and therefore it's still considered to be part of the Rishut beam. And even though it's not easy to use it or easy access it, but nevertheless, since they do use it, or in times when they need it, they do use it, that's enough to deem it as a Rishut beam Because if the Guma was either a Carmelite or a Tour and his body was inside of it, and his hand was extended out to the Rishut Rabim, his hand would not be classified as a Rishut Rabim, because his hand would be governed by where his body is. Even if his hand's within three tvakim, the Rishut Rabim, because the hand may attach the body is drawn after the body, because as the Balitos explained in the previous Tosa Fault, according to Rabbi Abau, probably both the Ani and the Balabite have their hands below three tvakim. If that's the case, then even if the Balabite put it into the Ani's hand, and his hand is below three Tfachim in the rishuta HaYachid, and then the Ani pulls it out, and then he's in the Rashut rabim. then the Ani would be Chayav in that case, because he did the Akira as well, because his hand was below three Fahim and it would be Batel to the Rishut HaYachid. The fact that we don't say that shows you that the attachment of the hand to the body is significant, and even when your hand is below three Tfachim in the Rishut yachid. if your body's in the Rashut rabim, that's not classified as a rishuta HaYachid. And therefore, when the balabai does the Akira and places it into the hand of the Ani, and then the Ani takes it out into the Rishut Rabim, there are Turim, because neither of them did the entire Melocha. Even though the Ani's hand was below three Fahim in the Rishut yachid, it's not deemed to be a Rishut Yahid for the Ani, because he's standing in the Rishut Rabim. And therefore, when he pulls it out, it's only half the Melocha, the Hanacha, not the Akira as well. And so given that, Tosfat says that if you're standing in a ditch and your hand is outside, you're driven by your body, not by your hand. So it has to be a case where the ditch itself is also qualified or classified as a Rishut arabim. Or another possibility is binanas. Anas. We're talking about a midget, and therefore he's standing up, and his hand is still within three tvachim of the ground. The whole Mishnah is built around these crazy cases whereby either the person's bent over with his hand within three tvachim of the ground. He's standing in a ditch. Or he's a midget, that's what the Mishnah is speaking about. That makes it an unusual case. The Mishnah doesn't go out of its way to explain these oddities in terms of cases when it's trying to convey halacha. so in the end, Rova says, The real solution to the problem here is that a person's hand gains extraordinary significance. Even though it isn't physically 4 by 4 t'vachim. it's granted the status as if it has 4 by 4 Tvachim, and because we view the hand as being something of significance, it's elevated to the status as if it has 4 by 4 Tvachim, and therefore you don't need any exogenous items to create the 4 by 4 Tvachim. The hand itself is classified as a Arba al-Arba. V'chein kiata ravin yochanan. That's from roba in Bavel. Now we have a similar Memra that's brought by Ravin from Rabbi Yochanan in Eretz Yisrael. Adam that the person's hand has a status as if it is four by 4x4 four Tvachim. Him. And even though, as the Baal pointed out in yesterday's Daft, the Gemara in Erevin says in many places that you can be machshiv any location to have a status of being like 4x4 tefachim. So what's the chedesh of the Gemara here, or of Rav over here, that you can have your hand be 4x4 tefachim? So the Rabbeinu Utam suggests that the cases in Erevin where it works, for you to classify it or be machshiv it as 4x4 tefachim, is a situation or circumstance where that is the only way that you'll be satisfied or happy with with the object being received into that location. Nothing else would be sufficient or work for you. Over here, where there are other ways where you could take the object, place it in there, you could receive it, take the object out. It just happens to be that your hand as well as one of those functions. That's not considered to be akshivet because you have other alternatives and those other alternatives would have been just as good for you. And so therefore over here, it's a special din in Yad that has a din of 4x4 Tvachim even though you're not explicitly being machshivit like that which is said in the Gemara Eruvin and that's why it's different than that Gemara Kamar and Ervin, where it's only because of the Akshavate. And the unique position that that actually gives to the object that makes it that you can have an akira and a hanachah off of something that's less than Fort tefachim. Over here, it's a generic rule with regards to a hand. Amar Rabbi Yehav and Amar Rabbi Ilai, Amar Rabbi Yochanan. Zarak chefetz v'nach betochi yado shel Person who throws an object and it lands in the hand of his friend. Chayav Maikam kamash What is that teaching us? Yado shel adam chashev alokedalad It's Teaching us the same din that we just saw before from Rabbi Yochanan, that the hand is considered to be by four by four tfachem, and therefore when the object lands in the hand of his friend, that's considered to be anachah. Didn't Rabbi Yochanan already tell us that information? Why do we need Rabbi Yochanan to convey the same piece of information in two different ways? I would have thought, That's only true when it's his own hand. By his own hand, he can claim that the hand has disproportionate significance because he had in mind that he's using his hand or he's receiving in his hand and therefore it would have a status of a 4x4 four four Tavachim. But in a situation where it lands on his friend's hand and his friend had no active participation in the Akira and Hanacha, maybe over there it doesn't gain that added significance of being 4 by 4 Tavachim. Maybe there it wouldn't have a status or outside status. Kamash that it still does have that status of being four by four t'vachim, even though the person wasn't actively involved in the Akira or the Hanacha. Avin, Rabbi Rabbi Yochanan. Amar B'Kibel Chayav, Patur. If the person was stationary and it landed in his hand, the person who threw it there is Chayav. If the person who is receiving it intercepted it and received it, then he is Patur. Tanya Namihochi, that's similar to the brighta that we brought before, which is the Akhirimorim, Amad bikibel, patur, similar to what we saw before. In the brighta when the person is stationary, then the person who threw it is both culpable for the Akira and the Hanacha because the person who is stationary acts as if he is part and parcel an extension of of whatever shoot it is that he's standing in, and that's why you are chayav. Whereas if the person intercepts it, then he becomes the hanacha, because he's now changed the trajectory of the object, and the machshavah, the person who threw it, hasn't been carried out to its entirety, and therefore he only did akira, but not the hanacha. And that's what we saw before in the achirim, and that breitah is supportive of what we're hearing from Rabbi Yochanan as well. By Rabbi Yochanan, zarach the person threw an object, and then he ran, and then he intercepted it or caught it, mahu. What is the din with regards to that? Makami kamibaile. What's the question over here? Two aspects within a single individual is the question. Do we say that when you have two kochot, meaning both the akira and the hanachat that comes from a single individual, it is considered as if it's one person, vi and therefore you are Chayav, so that the intercepting of the object when you catch it is what you intended for originally. So even though you're doing the action of two parties here, you're doing the Akira and Anacha, nevertheless, since it's two actions but it's done by a single individual, it's considered as if your intent is being carried out to its fullest extent. And therefore you did both the Akira and Anacha, and you are Chayav. Odilma Dam or maybe you're considered like two people or two individuals as we saw before, if an individual intercepts the object, then that's not a hanachah that carries out the full intent of the person who threw it. If that's the case, then the Akiran hanachah are considered to be separate and not from a single individual, Upatur. And then you would not be Chayav, you would be Patur of alasur. Taiku, we leave that as an unresolved issue. That is the Girsu that we have in our Gemara. If you turn the page, the Rabbeinu Hananel has a different version of the Gemara that is just the opposite, which is, if we say that he is considered to be like Adam Echad, if considered to be like a single individual, then he would be patur, because it would be no different than him passing something from his left hand to his right hand. And if you pass something from your left hand to your right hand, you're not chayav for hotza'ar or haknasa' because you're just passing something within your body that's not called carrying. And similarly over here, if you throw it and then you catch it and you consider it to be an adam echad, then you would be patur. On the other hand, if you're considered to be deshnei b'nei adam, you'd be chayav because then you're releasing it from yourself and receiving it as if you are two different individuals, and you'll be chayav. So he has the chayav and Patua reversed in the Gemara, and he explains that to mean whether the individual is considered to be passing to himself, or passing to another party. Person who sticks his hand into his friend's chatser, and then he captures brain, and then he takes it back out into the Rishut Rabbim, chayav for chatsa, matkivla rabbi zero. I don't understand the difference between this and our Mishnah. In our Mishnah, the individual, the Ani, sticks his hand inside to the Balabite, and then the Balabite puts an object into the Ani's hand, the Ani is not Chayav therefore, because the Akira was done by the Balabite. It was placed into the hand by the Balabite, and therefore the Ani didn't do the Akira. Similar over here, if the rain comes down from the heavens into the hand of the individual, so, of course, he didn't put it into his hand. Somebody else didn't put it in his hand, but Kodesh Baruch Hu, or the heavens, put it into his hand. And therefore, the heavens did the Akira, and he's only doing the Hanacha. And so why should he be chayav over here? So the Gemara says, Don't say that he captured rain that was falling into his hand. That he gathered the rain, as Rashi describes over here, the assumption is that there is a flow of water that's coming down, and he's using one hand to deflect it into his other hand. So he's actually the cause of the Akira over here. Says, don't we know, based on the Gemara we saw until now, that you need the object to be removed from an area that is at least four by four tefachim? And you don't have that now because the water is coming into his hand by being deflected by the other hand, and so the water is not being released from an area or taken from an area that is four by four fahim, and therefore you'd still have a failure in the akira. It's a case where he's capturing the water or collecting the water from a wall. So Gumar says, It's on top of the wall. It was never static that it'd be considered that you're doing Akira. Akira means you're taking something and now uprooting it and moving it. So how would you have an Akira here if you're collecting it off the wall or being deflected off the wall? Time at a wall that has a slope to it. That's an answer to another question, which we're going to see in a second. So to in our case over here, we're speaking of a case where it is a kota mishupa. It's a wall that is on a slant. And so when it's on the wall, the wall that's parallel to him when he's capturing the rain, the rain is still not in a place where it's gathering or it's pooled or that it has a hanacha. It just happens to be that it was on the wall instead of in the air or in his hand. So then that doesn't change the status. So the Gemara's answer is that it is b'kota mishupa. We're dealing with a wall that's on an incline or decline. And therefore the rain, even though it may be still moving, it still has gathered on a location that is four by 4x4 at Tfachim. And since it's 4 by 4 at that's considered to be a Makom Chashuv, for it to be Hanakha. And then if you're it from there, that would be classified as an Akira. At this point, it does not seem to be that the Gemara requires the object to be static or stationary in order for there to be Hanakha. Because the Gemara is going to ask that question later on in the Sugya, So at this point, the Gemara is assuming just because it's on the wall, that might be enough to be classified as Nach, versus the case where you're deflecting it into your hand. So then the Gemara says, what's the difference between the rain being deflected into your hand or coming off of the wall when it's just on the side of a wall, which is upright? So that's where the Gemara answers that it's a kotel mishupah. It's on a slant, so therefore it's landing on a location that is much broader, a 4 by 4 t'vachim, and again, it might still be in motion, but it now has reached some sort of destination that's 4 by 4 t'vachim, that's different than your hand deflecting it into your other hand. Where is the original statement of Ravah dealing with a wall that is on an incline? Ahad, it's not, it's from the Mishnah and Erevin. Hayat koreb is safer. If he was reading a Megillah, Megillah is because all of the scrolls in their day were written like a Megillah. They were wound unto themselves. A Sefer Torah was different because it had two handles, but most of them were written like Megillahs and had only one handle. So he has the Sefer in his hand, and then it unrolls or unravels itself. Ali Scopa. But he was standing on a perch... Or a porch that is in front of his house. As Rashi notes over here, the Gemara in Ervin explains that that's an Eskopat Karmelit. It's an area that is not a Rishut Yachid and not a Rishut Arabim, which means that it's more than three Tfakhim high, and it's four by four Tfakhim wide, but not ten Tfakhim high, because otherwise it would be a Rishut Yachid. Or Rashi explains in Erevin that it was ten Tfakhim high, but it was an area that the Rabim went on a lot, and therefore it doesn't have a din of a Rishut Yachid. And so therefore you're dealing with a Rishut Dirabanan. And it, unround, and it unraveled from his hand, then it's now lying out towards the Rishut Go the low, it's We let you roll it back towards you, even though a portion of the safer is found in Rishut Rabim, because it's still in your hand, or the other half of it is still in your hand. On the other hand, if you're on the top of the roof, and it needs safer, miyado, and it unraveled from you, and now it landed down, in the Rishut Rabbim, it's still above 10 Tfachim of the Rishut low. then you're allowed to roll it back to yourself. And if it's within 10 Tfachim of the ground, then you can't roll it back anymore. You have to flip it over and leave it there to protect it from being ruined, but you can't roll it back. The difference being is that by the Iskopa, that you're dealing with a Rishut Rabbanan, And even if it totally left your hand, and you brought it from the Rishut back into the Eskopah, you'd only be in violation of an Yisud Rabbanan, you wouldn't be in violation of Yisud went when everyone unravels and goes into the Rishut we let you, as long as you're still holding it, we let you roll it back to yourself. On the other hand, when you're on the Gag, which is a Rishut Yachid and the Sefer unravels down towards the rabim. If it's above 10 Fahim, as we said before, the limit of the Rashut rabim is 10 Tafakim high, and therefore it's stone a Makom tour, and therefore we let you roll it back up. On the other hand, if it goes below 10 Fahim, then it's classified as being in the Rishut rabim. there we're not going to let you roll it back. Even though in the circumstance you're in right now, it would be totally fine to roll it back. Our fear is in a case where it left your hand, and then you want to bring it back, you can then bring, bringing it back from the Rabim to the which is an Easter Doraita. There we don't give you permission to do it, and we avoid that by putting a takanat chachamim in place that doesn't let you roll it back. Why does he have to flip it onto the and he can't roll it back to himself? Halonach Never reached a point of Hanachan the Rabim. Even if it's below 10th Vachim, it's in the avir of the Roshut but it's still not resting the Rabbin. Why should there be a problem to bring it back to yourself? Even if it was detached from you and you brought it back, you would not be Chayab because it never rested in the Rishwet HaRabim. We're dealing with a wall that is on a slant that goes into the Rishut Rabim, and therefore the roll or the scroll landed in the Rishwet Rabim below 10th vachim on a wall that's on a slant and therefore it does come to rest or the part that is released from you has come to rest and if you pulled it back, it would be problematic if it had already detached from you and you were bringing it totally from the Rishwet HaRabim to the Rishwet Yachid. So do over here, we won't let you do it, even though it's still in your hand, because of that possibility. Dozwell just points out that the Rez says that the wall here is still considered to be Rishruta Rabim, even though you can't walk on it, is because it's an area that people use to adjust their loads. And that's one of the things that makes something to Rishruta Rabim, is when the Rabim uses it, even if they're not walking on it or traversing it, if they use it to unload or reload their packs or their burdens, then that's also considered to be a part of the Rishruta Rabim, because they actively use it. So that's what he suggests here, this wall on a slant is being actively used by individuals to adjust their loads, and that's why it's considered to be a Rishut Rabim. Although the Ramban just says that because it's in the Avir Rishut HaRabim, it has a din like the Rishutarabim, beam even if it's a koto on a slant, because it's the airspace of Rishut David So, Wait a minute. Rava's idea of a koto Mishupah makes sense when you're dealing with a sefer, because a sefer comes to rest on an area that is on a slant. Ma'im mi'avide since when does water come to rest? Yes, the water is on the wall when it's Mishupah, but when it's Mishupah, the water continues to be in movement. How can you call that a Hanacha? El Kagon Shikalat, melgave Guma. It's a case where he collected it from a water pool that was in a ditch there. He says, Guma, pshita. he takes it out of water, It collects water out of a ditch, then of course, he's taking something to Rashuta Rabbim. What's the question now? says, Maudateima. What I would have thought is, Maim Maim, Lavanachahu. Maybe the water that's sitting on top of other water in the ditch is not considered to be at rest because it's on top of water. Maybe in order to be at rest you need to be in contact with the ground and water that sits on top of water is not considered to be at rest. Kamash Malan, that that is considered to be at rest. And therefore when you are your water from water, that's considered to be an Akira. how's the of and this answer of Rava as to what the scenario is here with regards to the case of Rabbi Yochanan where you're collecting the water in the Roshut Yechin and bringing it out to the Roshut is in consonance with another position that he notes which is, Dhamma Ravah, Maim Agabi Maim. When you have water that's on top of other water, Haino chatan Then the water is considered to be at rest there. It goes Maim if you have a nut that's floating in the water, Lav Haino Hanachato. That's not considered to be at rest because it's floating through the water. And therefore, if you take the egos out of the water, that would not be considered Akira. As opposed to when you take water out of water, that would be considered to be an Akira. Egoz Bikli, Bikli What happens if you have a nut that is sitting inside of a utensil and then the utensil is floating on the water. as What do we look at here? Do so we look at the nut? And the nut, as far as it's concerned, is stationary inside of the kli. And therefore, if you take it out of the kli, maybe that should be considered an akira. And then it's not at rest because it floats along the top of the water. Do so we look at the egos as being a part and parcel of the utensil, and the utensil is floating on the water, and therefore, maybe there's no akira over here. Te'ku. We we'll leave that as an unresolved issue. Now, the Bali Tosfo point out that this is a unique din in Shabbat because with regards to Kinyanim, the Gemara Mbub says that when you have a boat that is floating along the top of the water, the boat is not considered to be a chatser ha It's not considered to be a moving chatser. Because the water is moving, but the boat is considered to be a stationary area, and therefore you can make a kinyan there, or your chacer can make a kinyan on your behalf. Because as the Baytos would say, we learned Khatzer from Yad. And just like your Yad is considered to be not a moving object, but rather a stationary object for a kinyan, so too the boat has the same din as your chacer as not being a moving object. But by Shabbat, where we learn from the Mishkan, it has to be the way that it was done in the Mishkan. And then the question is, Kaderah Shematzinim Adam. What's the normal way that people store things? So is it considered to be normal to have a nut in a utensil that's floating on the water? Is that the normal way of storage? And therefore you'll have a different din in Chosh Mishpat than you will have in Chaim. In Khosh Mishpat, it's considered to be a, an area that's a malechet. whereas over here in Shabbat, it'll be considered to be an object that's in motion because by Shabbat, the din is governed by what's the normal way that people store things or the way it was done in the Mishkan, whereas by Chosh Mishpat, the din of Kinyanim, It has to do with whether the object is similar to your hand or not. Rabbi Kiv thinks that the Balai Tosafot's whole premise for connecting the boat to the hand is somewhat precarious because the whole reason that your hand is not considered to be a chatzera malechet is because it's attached to your body. And so just like your hand or your arm can't walk away without your body, that's why it's not considered to be a chatzera malechet. That's not necessarily true when it comes to a boat, because it has to be an object that can't leave you, or can't move away from you. So, chatzar shenam amalechet means a stationary property that can't walk off without you. But That's not true of a boat, and therefore the, the Rebbe ki questions the whole correlation that the Balai make between the person's hand and the chatzar amalechet for a boat. Now the Gemara says, shemen if you have oil that floats on top of wine, the only reason we're using wine here is because of the machloka they're going to bring afterwards, but it could be true of oil that floats on top of any other liquid because oil separates away from other liquids and floats on top. So the question is, when you have oil on top of another liquid, is it considered to be part and parcel of the liquid below, and therefore when you pick up the Shem and you're being akira, or is it considered to be separate from the liquid below, and therefore there's no akira that's happening over here. And that, they say, is the machloka of Yohonim and Nuri Rabbanon. It's subject to the machloka of Yohonim and Nuri and Rabbanon in the world of Truma. that's not, we have a Mishnah in Truma, Shemeshitzah Gabe Yain. if you have shemen of Truma, that's floating on top of wine, of Truma, nagat and the t'vulyom, who's a Shani the Tuma, touches the shemen on top, is Truma, and can accept the shlishi the Tuma, then the t'vulyom can ruin the shemen on top, lo pasala shemen he only affects the oil, not the wine below. That means that the Khamin believe that the wine and the Yayin are considered to be separate entities. And so therefore, touching the Shaman is not as if you touch the wine. And by the dinim of Truma, a Tvoyom, who's a Shani, the Tumah, makes the Truma into a Psul, or into a Shlishi, the Tumah, but it's the end of the line of Tumah. Therefore, the Shaman doesn't pass that Tumah to the Yayin. And that's only true of a Tvoyom, because a Tvoyom has a special status within the world of truma. That whatever he touches, when he's a sheni the tumah makes a shlishi the tumah. On the other hand, if it was any other tumah that was a Shani, we have a rule that we saw in the Gemara in Brachot that that elevates the liquids back to a rishon the tumah. And if they were a rishon the tumah the shemen, then they would affect the yain below. So that's why it's uniquely associated with a t'vul yom over here. And obviously, Gemara thinks that Shemin is a liquid because that's why it had to use tful yom and not another form of Shani the tumah. But from the Chachamim, you see that they view the Shemin and yain as being separate entities. And so too, by Shabbat, there'll be separate entities, and then there won't be an Akira of the Shemin when you remove it from the yayin. Whereas Rabbi Yochan and Menuri, they're considered to be a, a single entity, like water on top of water. And if that's the case, then if you touch the Shemin, the yayin also becomes Tamei. And for Shabbat, if you're Oker okay the Shemin, that would be considered to be an Akira, because you're removing it from the Ya'in that it's attached to. am am Yochanan. So we have a member from this same group of Amoraim. Rabbi Yavin, in the name of Rabbi Eli, in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, a person had liquids and food that were on his back, that he was carrying around. If he's walking in and out of the Shutra Rabin to Shuti Yachid all day long, First, it's not chayav until they stop and they're stationary. That is because as long as you're in motion, there's no Akira and Hanacha. And absent in Akira and Hanacha, you can't be chayav for Hotzaa or for Haknasah. So the situation, as Rashi notes over here, has to be where the person originally had the intent to carry it from one side of his house to the other side of his house, which is not problematic on Shabbat. Then he changed his mind, and then kept walking out to the Rishut Rabim. So there you never had an Akira with the intent to take it out. It was an Akira that was done to do it inside your house. And therefore, if you don't stop anywhere along the way, you don't have an hanakha, that then generates an Akira afterwards, it will make you chayav for or Hachnasah. When you say it, mod, it means shu'amada fush, where he stopped to rest. Only if he came to a stationary position where he's resting, is that considered to be Anakha. And then when you start up again, that'll be considered an Akira. That goes back to what we saw on Dav Gimel, that Agirat Gufo is considered to be Akirat Chefetz. When you move your body, it's considered to be an Akira for the Chefetz. that only true when you come from a stationary point, a point where you've had a Hanacha with your body and the object on it, then when you start walking, as in an Akira. And that's now what Rabbi Yochanan told us, it has to be that you stopped in order to have a Hanacha that will allow for an Akira, that will make you chayav. And by it qualifies, then it says it has to be a type of Hanacha where you stop to rest. It can't be that you're just stopping to adjust the load because that's considered to be as if you're still in motion and you haven't stopped. Mimai, how does he know this? If an individual was carrying shutra beam. To be chayav for carrying rishut you have to carry at least four amot in rishut If he stops to rest, then he is pator, because then he never carried in a single motion the four amot, because he stopped before the four amot. Likateif, if he stopped within four amot to adjust the load, and then continued on outside of the four amot, chayav, then he's chayav. That's not considered to be a stop. Ahanachan and Akira. Never it's as if he walked the four amot in one shot. Kotz le amot. If he walks, and then he carries more than dal amot in Rishud HaRbim, Amad if he stops to rest, then he's chayav because now you have a hanacha in the rabim. Likateif. If he stops just to adjust the load, he's putur, because over there that's not considered as if you stopped, and therefore it's still as if you're in motion. As long as you're in motion, there's no hanacha to make you chayav for the akira and the hanacha. Malan. akira rishona. akira rishona So what did Rabbi Yochanan come to teach us with this whole din over here? It's coming to teach you that there was never an akira in the first place. To be for the intent of doing hotza'ah. That is because when he loaded onto his body, it was done in a situation or circumstance where he never intended to take it out to the Shruta And when he changes his mind, that's what creates the necessity for a new akira, a and akira. And that fails over here if he continues to walk around and never stops. So Gemara says, if that's what he's going to teach us, we already have this memory from Rabbi Yochanan. So if have quoting Rabbi Yochanan. A person who's carrying his furniture, his objects from one side of the house to the other side of the house. And after he picked it up to carry it to the other side of his house, he changed his mind, takes him out to Because his original Akira wasn't with the intent of taking it out to the Rishut His original Akira was to keep it in the house. That's not called an Akira that you're going to be chayab for. And therefore you see the same din that Rabbi Yochanan is suggesting over here, which is, if you don't have an Akira in the first place for a Hotzaah, that Akira doesn't count, and you need a new Akira, which means you need to stop, and then start up again, and as bai told us, you have to stop to rest, in order for to be considered an amida. that's an Anakha, and then an Akira. But now we have Rabbi Yochanan saying it in two different contexts, saying the exact same Din, and that would seem to be unnecessary. Usually you have a Din from an Amora, if he says it once, he doesn't need to say it in multiple different forms, and say the same Din. He says, these are different Amoraim that are quoting Rabbi Yochanan. Mar mar lishna, mar mar lishna. They both heard it from Rabbi Yochanan, but they presented the case, or they presented this din of Rabbi Yochanan in different ways. Not that they heard something different, Rabbi Yochanan only said it once. But their Misora, was that this was the way it was presented, or they presented Rabbi Yochanan's din in this way. And yes, they're saying the same din in different ways. But in the end, it's the same din of Rabbi Yochanan, which is that you need an Akira, the shem Hotza, in order for it to be considered or classified as an Akira. Right, we're going to stop here by the two dots in the bottom of hey, I'm a bet.